the past. It used to be a newspaper. The Bob Podcast. Not outclassed. Ones on mass. Getting on my leader right up to the end of the game. The Bob Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Buff Podcast. My name is Mark Isles and I am the chief football writer of the Bolton News. This is the wondrous show that won't be washed out after eight minutes, but you'll probably wish it was. And on the bone-dry buff this week, Brill Collins, Wanderers' big money striker, makes a quick impact. Sun spared, club removes ban on that tabloid. Risty business, Baxter's playing through the pain. And which former Bolton Wanderers player now makes millions selling booze? Find out that and look ahead to the games against Northampton Town and Wickham Wanderers on the podcast that doesn't care about Taylor Swift no matter how superb her owl is. Russell swings it across. Felgate out with a punch there but doesn't get it clear properly. Now Flynn, good ball, finds uh, Russell. Russell swings it across. Oh, it's there! That's it! I said it was coming, Wrexham all along, I've been prompting and probing, and there is the opening goal. Now Brown. Now JT. Now JT. Can he produce the form of last season against the fourth division men? Win Stanley. He's having a crack. Yes! Brilliant! Brilliant! Mark Win Stanley. What a brilliant goal! Brilliant! Absolutely brilliant! Well done, Winnie! Winnie, Mark Wynn Stanley, brilliant. Seem to be starting to crack under the relentless, and I say relentless, Bolton pressure. Now it's Robbie Savage now with the corner kick, swings it in. Wynn Stanley, yeah, yeah, Wynn Stanley, yeah, Mark Wynn Stanley, brilliant. Bolton two, Wrexham one, and Mark Wynn Stanley with both goals. What a great hero, what a lad. Now Savage. Cowdrill, Win Stanley, what an hero, what a man. Oh, what a bad foul. He plays the ball across now. Oh, Morgan. Now, Savage, yes, brilliant. Robbie Savage, he's done it again. He's scored against Wrexham. The old faithful, he's done it again. He did it at the race course last uh, May. And he's done it again here at Burning Park tonight. And now it's time to introduce my co-host for this podcast and a man who would have gone to Cambridge but his mum won't let him go in the deep end. It's Henry Hewitt. Henry, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Mark. Yeah, my uh, my, uh, armbands were... uh, I don't quite have my armbands. I've only got my 10-metre badge as well on my trunk, so uh, it was probably for the best. Is that the one where you have to tread water? I can't remember. There used to be a swimming certificate where you used to have to tread water for a minute or something. Then then there was the... Was it a four-star certificate where you had to go in in pyjamas like you do all the time into rivers and, and, and oceans and things like that? Ooh, I don't remember that. I, all I remember is back in my day, I think there was a uh, a whale on the badge. Uh, so that was the anyone who was uh, doing uh, learning to swim in the mm. mid to late 90s will, uh, will remember that. I got, like Arnold remember from Red Dwarf, got to my bronze swimming certificate and uh, I remember... Remember, it might have been the four star, it might have been the bronze one where you had to dive to the bottom of the pool and rescue a brick. That, yeah, that like you've you got to do all the time. Yeah. All the time. And, and in my adult life, I've so many, I've rescued dozens, dozens of bricks from the bottom of reservoirs and such like. And by the way, kids, don't go in reservoirs. 
<laughs> Don't go to reservoirs as a result of my stupid comment there. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. If there's if there's any kids listening, don't do that uh, because uh, especially this time of year because it'd be cold. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, no time of year is good for it, Henry. Right, <laughs> <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on. Talking about water, uh, Cambridge. I mean, we can't exactly analyse the game, can we? Because quite frankly, it wasn't even a game. Um, but I will say this. So. We turned up to Cambridge and there were a good few people that asked me on Twitter, is this game definitely on? Is it all right? So we asked the uh, Cambridge press staff and our own Bolton Wanderers press staff, is there any inspections planned or anything like that? Because it's, it's raining quite heavily. Nope, nothing planned whatsoever. The referees warmed up as normal. No inspections, nothing whatsoever. No ground staff out there. You know, sometimes when it is quite heavy, you'll see the ground staff out with the pitchforks and, and you know, doing the, the, doing the bit. And the well, the brushes eventually. I mean, God, that was incredible. But yes, so nothing at all, nothing at all. Uh, spoke to Geth Jones after the game as well. He said, "No, we warmed up as normal. We actually thought the pitch was pretty good. The ball was moving well. Everything was fine. Something happened." Now, I'm not saying that in a, a university town with so many high-minded people like Cambridge that there could be a weather wizard, but there could be a weather wizard. Because they not only changed the direction of the wind, but they intensified the rain by about 10 uh, between uh, between about the first minute of the game and the ninth minute of the game. And that's that's what that's what did it. I mean, the whole place just turned into a huge puddle. It was crazy. Um, yeah, I was watching on Wanderers TV and uh, it was great to hear Peter Smith, by the way, the hark yeah. back to uh, the former Wanderers TV days. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, did did you also have to ring into a premium phone line in order to listen to Pete Smith? Because that really would have been a lovely retro touch. Yes, it would. Um, and Colin to be interviewing Colin Todd after the game. Um, but uh, um, yeah, it was. I mean, it just looked. A, I mean, the the eight minutes that were played, it's uh, it looked a bit of a farce, and mm. you could just tell, couldn't you, straight away that as soon as Baxter tried passing it out to Sheehan and it. Mm. You know, Sheehan was just caked in water and mud. Um, yeah, it it wasn't going to last. And you know, it, it's a it's a shame. My, my, you know, my heart goes out to those that um, that went from Bolton. It, mm. It's just it's it's not ideal for the club for the players really because you know if if we were more local, then obviously you know I'm sure those players would rather have not warmed up and and got ready and whatever. But at least it's a, a short drive back and you can do it again in two weeks. It's a long drive. It's mm. you know, and um, by all accounts, did they stay over? I think they stayed over. They did um, the night before, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know that again for for Bolton's finances, they they can only stay over so many matches per season. So that's eaten into that. So uh, yeah, it's um, it's it what just wasn't ideal. But I think Ian Everett was right after the game in what he said. The way Bolton want to play, and you could tell actually that. You know, playing out from the back, it just wasn't happening. So, if you'd have continued the game, there could have been injuries. But if you continued the game, you don't really know on the pitch what would have happened from there. Yeah, and yeah. If we were quite lucky, there wasn't a goal for either team because now we can just start again from from zero. If there's a goal being scored, suddenly you're getting into a, a sticky situation. Yeah, I mean Neil Harris, I think was quite. You know, he was trying to push the game to to continue a little bit, and and rightly so. I think it would have been a really not just a leveler; it would have definitely tipped the scales in Cambridge's favour. And I think that the first 
eight, nine minutes of, of football or so, if you can call it that, was definitely in their favour. But, I mean, you, I, you've got to feel sorry for the fans. And obviously, everybody everybody travels knowing that it's something you know, something can happen with weather. You can't, you obviously can't control it as much as we joke about uh, the weather wizards and they really do exist. Um, but yeah, the, you know, a lot of fans have travelled on official coaches. They're going to get their money refunded. They're going to go down for the replayed game on the 20th. Um, but obviously a lot of other fans are disappointed because they've gone, you know, their own volition, trains and on, on uh, with hotels and, and petrol money and all that sort of stuff. Um, I mean, there's not, there's, it's a really awkward situation for the club because there's not a great deal they can do. It's not as if you can sit there and get expenses claims or anything like that from, from every single fan. I mean, the guy that came in from China, I mean, he would he, he bankrupt <laughs> the club, surely. Yeah, that's... Uh, um... That I mean, we'd have to send Aaron Collins back. We'd have to, uh, you know, we're still within his what fourteen day return policy. We'd it's have a cooling off period. To... It's a cooling off yeah. period, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, no, it's yeah, it's, it's it's one of those things, unfortunately. And, and this is it at this level, you know, playing. It's um, yeah, it, it's you're gonna get these situations. Um, obviously, in an ideal situation, it would have been called off earlier in the day so no one could travel. Mm. But uh, as you said there, it, the pitch was playable, the pitch was fine. So um, it's just one of those things, unfortunately. And let's then concentrate a bit more on Barnsley and Saturday, which was, it's funny that the kind of range of opinions from that one, because I'd, I've seen the whole lot really on on social media and people that talked to me after the game as well. There was a lot of people that couldn't get past that 15 minutes after halftime where everything, nothing went right and everything seemed to go wrong for Bolton. Um, and obviously they didn't start the game very well because of the, the kind of sloppy defending from the from the long throw that conceded the goal for Devante Cole. Uh, but I, you know, I felt they, they played better than a lot of people had given them credit for. What about you? Yeah, well, I thought in the midfield, um, the... The, the midfield for me played really well. You know, the way Dempsey, McGoma and Sheehan linked up with finding space and we're creating quite a lot. The, the problem in the first half, barring their goal, was that no one were getting on the end of anything. Mm, mm. Um, which, you know, there were so many balls seemed to be placed placed in. And I know the manager said afterwards that that was Ashworth's job really to get on the end of them and he did in the second half. But, um, you know, there were corners going to the back post and Idale just weren't quite getting the right connection on it. Mm. Um, it just, in the final third, it just wasn't quite happening. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, I did think at half-time, actually, in terms of getting the ball forward and, and pressing from midfield, I actually thought it was one of Bolton's better performances in the season because Barnsley had the one chance and they had that crazy period where they seemed to be offside every, yeah. you know, every time they... they went into Bolton's half and I know one or two chances there I, I can't I couldn't quite work out what had been given offside and what hadn't so Barnsley could have had no chances they've all been given <laughs> offside but he had a one or two but other than that I thought Bolton played really well and I was actually expecting then for him to come out in the second half and it'd be more of the same but mm. as you said the first 10 minutes it wasn't quite like that no it was it was funny I, I did expect Bolton to get back into the game at some point because I, I felt that first half they'd they created too much and and 
it wasn't a good day for the front two. I think that's fair to say that it wasn't really sticking with them. They weren't getting in the positions you'd want them to be in in the in the penalty box. And uh, you know, Dion and and Victor didn't really have chances. And when you think about where Bolton played the football and and the number of crosses that came in, that was quite strange, really. Um, but something did happen, and that was Aaron Collins when he came on. It didn't take him long. He was involved in the build up. Uh, seven passes from Nathan Baxter all the way to Zach Ash was at the far post, and he supplied a cross that, I mean, you know, other than uh, other than presenting it on a silver tray, he couldn't have done a much better, really, could he? No, no, he couldn't. I mean, what a cross it was, and and it just, I, you know, you know what I've got to say as well. A lot of people have had, um, you know, I've had a, a lot of things to say about Everett's substitutions this season, mm. but but Bod Varson and Collins coming on changed the game because it wasn't sticking up front. And it then did. And suddenly, I think after those came on, um, then, you know, it, it changed the game. And it was mainly yeah. then Bolton who was on the ascendancy. And I think the first 10 minutes, that, that was probably the problem was that the ball was being cleared and it was coming straight back. Mm. And then because of that, Barnsley are getting more confident, they're pressing more. Obviously, you've got a new centre half as well who's getting used to things. So that didn't quite help. He gave the ball away a few times. So. Yeah, credit to Ian Everett because he changed the game with his subs and it, it did change the game. Bod Varson does what he does and Collins, um, it was good to see him. And, you know, we've been told a lot of not only Collins' scoring ability, but this is the guy who apparently, even in a poor season for his standard in, in scoring goals, he's still got whatever, 10 assists or whatever he's got. Mm. So for him to score, you know, get an assist on his debut and... You know, yeah, the cross was, it wasn't even a get to the byline and drag it back. It was a good, what, a 30-yard cross. Yeah, um, pinpoint. It, mm. Yeah, and Ashworth, credit to him for, for getting it in. So, yeah, it was good to see that. He almost got a dream debut with a goal at the end. But, um, no, it was exciting to see him. And I'm I'm, I'm looking forward now to, to seeing more of him. Well, we we haven't really discussed Collins and what it means because... Last week, our record-breaking week for the buff, by the way, as far as uh, downloads and listens, uh, we, we launched two episodes, one which was before the transfer deadline day, looking ahead and, and seeing what might happen, and then one which concentrated solely on the games, and both of them were recorded on Wednesday, so uh, thank you very much for everybody that listened in, because there were loads of you, it was amazing, um, but... We haven't really drilled down onto Collins. So Collins has cost, we think, £750,000, which is the most that Bolton have paid for any player since Jay Spearing back in the summer of 2013. Um, Rob Hall was also a quite a big one and, and may have cost more with bonuses had he played more games but didn't quite get there. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a huge, huge fee for this. It's the 26th biggest fee ever paid in League One would you believe? Um, wow. Yeah, according to Transfer Market. And I will give that asterisk because sometimes that can get it wrong. But they're not usually that far away on transfer fees. But anyway, so it's about 750 grand. And I mean, you've got, in, in, a, in a sense, you've, you've certainly got to say to, to, to Football Ventures and to, to the Bolton board that they've backed Ian Everett with that. You know, it could have been very easy, I think, at, at deadline day to, to bring in Caleb Taylor as a bit of defensive cover, which had to be done because of the, the Santos situation with his injury. 
But it would have been very easy just to say, well, bring in a loan player and do something kind of temporary sticking plaster. But to, to pay that sort of money when League One promotion is not guaranteed is a, is a real big show of faith, isn't it? And I know Neil Hart said it was a risk worth taking, which was the phrase that stood out to me. But what what's your view? Yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I think it was, uh, you know, Ian Everett has said he wanted him in the summer anyway if they got promoted. So I guess you you know, we'll have to see in the summer what the budget's like, whether it's taken a bit out of that budget mm. or whether there's, you know, it's um, there's more. But, you know, I think for this level, he he hopefully will be a very good signing and he will get us over the line. Obviously, you know, through every game week, there's different permutations. And you, you're looking at the the table now and looking and thinking, well, we still got all those games in hand and Peterborough are now below us. We've, we've got games in hand of them and, and stuff so uh you know everyone's working that out but i think the what could be a, a more of a master stroke is the fact that we've now got an extra body up front mm. who you know with the games coming up you know I, I mean there's been a lot of people on on social media who have posted like the players in different positions for bolts and kind of thing and you, you we do have two two players in each position now and i think replacing dion was one of the things where you i think the club had to do um mm. because aaron collins is a slightly different player to dion but more of a dion type player than say a bod varson or an adibiejo or a jerome mm. so the fact now is that dion can be rested he can be brought out of the team because otherwise you you kind of playing dion until he runs out of gas and yeah. that could be dangerous because he could be then injured for the season so now you think, well, we're playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. And it's not as easy as this, but technically we could play a Tuesday team and a Saturday team. Um, they're then getting, you know, playing each week. So we're getting, it's not like we're going stale. And I think signing Collins has done that. So um, hopefully it should get over, get us over the line. Um, but I mean, he just showed on Saturday he's a quality player. And if the club believe he can move up to the championship with us, uh, hopefully get a Wales cap as well, which will increase his price. Then you never know. It, it could be, we could be sat here in a few years going, yeah, well, we've doubled our money on him and he got us in the championship. So it's a master stroke. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm interested. And in, I was talking on the radio before the game on Tuesday night and it's, it's talking about the, the kind of mentality of the squad when a new signing comes in. And it, it intrigues me what happens now with Victor and with, with Dion now that there is a genuine well, another genuine threat. I think with, with Bod Varson, a lot of people would like to see him in the team. And I think against certain teams, it makes a lot of sense to put him in there. But I think because of the way he is, he is a really good professional. He's almost been, you know, okay with the role that he's been playing and just coming on and impacting. And, and his, his attitude's been top-notch with that. A bit like Jerome, in that they know what their role is and they're happy to kind of fulfil it. I don't think Aaron Collins is coming here to, to sit on the bench sort of once out of every two terms. So he's going to be pressing for that starting position. And what does that do to the two players who probably do think they should be starting every game? Um, yeah. and, and the partnership they've built probably suggests they should as well. So there's a, there's a, there's a change in the mentality there, the structure of the attack. Obviously, in Lundaloo's 
uh, injury meant they, they probably did need that extra body. But as I say, it could have been easier for the club just to say, bring in, I know they looked at Ennis and he ended up going to Stoke, uh, but somebody like Niall Ennis, who was just looking to get games and to kind of kickstart his career. And that could have worked, and it's worked for Bolton loads and loads of times. But this was a very, very interesting signing for me. And there's maybe one eye on the future as well as to what it does with Charles, whether or not if Bolton were not to go up, for example, does that mean that Dion Charles could potentially be moved on? And to recoup that fee, would he look to move on? Because he obviously wants to be playing in the championship. There's loads of different questions down the line for that one. But uh, yeah, for now, I I think it's going to be really, really uh, interesting to see how that, that four does... Um, and, and whether it can push Bolton on to, to greater success. But uh, yes, well, well, we'll talk a lot more about that because here's the headlines. News. Yeah, so the first headline uh, is about the crowd. And I know um, it was a funny the reaction when Ian ever said this could compare it to when Gary Megson said something uh, similar uh, it's been a lot more positive towards the manager than it was to him uh, basically <laughs> after that first 10 minutes in the second half against Barnsley where everyone was getting frustrated everyone questioning why you keep playing out from the bat when it's just coming back straight to you and all of that uh, Ian Everett has said that basically well not in these words, but trust the process. We know what we're doing and it doesn't help when you get on the players' backs. Do you know what? I'm going to tell you a story first. Before we before we launch into the Everett stuff, you just really, you've tickled my nostalgia muscle there. <laughs> it's, uh, the, 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 the pathetic quote of Gary Megson uh, came, of course, a game against Blackburn way back in the day. Was it 2009, possibly? Yeah, um, I was there. You were there. I was, one there. Of those, I was one of those pathetic people. <laughs> so Bolton, they'd been 2-0 up, hadn't they? Got back to 2-2. Yeah. Um, Gary Megson had just got absolute dog's abuse for the last half an hour of the game. And you could tell, as I said, I think it was last week, sometimes you could just tell when he was in a bad mood. You know, he was rattled by that. And yeah. at Blackburn, um, you used to get players down near the, the tunnel and the manager would go upstairs. So we had to split up. And back in the day, it was, it was Liam Cronell, who was my uh, assistant. He he went upstairs with the manager and I went downstairs to speak to Kevin Davis. So all of a sudden, he comes running down. He says, uh, we've got a line. We've got a line. He says, he just called the, he just called the fans pathetic. So I'm like, I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> so he runs back upstairs and listens to the tape to 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 hear what he'd actually said. And what had happened in in the build up? He'd actually tapped uh, one of the press officers on the side and, and said, "Get them to ask me about the fans' reaction." Right. <laughs> so that that question, last one, I think Liam just just went, "Did what about the fans?" By the way, and he was like, "I'm glad you asked you that. <laughs> glad you asked me that." Bam! I gave him two. <laughs> Two barrels. It was fantastic. Um, clearly, was weighing on his mind, um, and in the same kind of way, Ian Everts. You could tell when he came into the room. He sat down, and started talking about the game, but you were just waiting for somebody to ask him about the the fans' reaction. It was there. It was written on his face in the same way, um, and you know, rightly or wrongly, because you never. It it is a. As the postman, as the postman delivers you too early, Phil. Sorry, um, 
it's a, it's a war you're never going to win. When a, when a manager does kind of answer back against the fans, there's too many of them. You know, there's too many different opinions. You're never going to win it. Um, no. But the gauge we've got, as you rightly say, is like social media. And I think the, the, the vast majority of people... Um, kind of back him that that you, you can't really be you, you can't go into it negative i think you can react to negative things and that 15 minutes after half time was poor it was it you know they've got to be better at relieving pressure from themselves so that they can play football there was a better option on on a couple of the passes that went astray um We've said a few times, you know, can you play direct up to Victor, for example, and, and have the ball stick and then you can move up and play your football a bit further up. Um, that's what needed to happen. Those decisions have to come on the pitch, though, and it doesn't necessarily mean that Ian Everett's shouting at them, you don't go long, don't go long every single time they get the ball. They've got the option. It's just they need to take it on the pitch. Um, and, you know, I think Ian Everett got quite a lot of stick from some of the people in that main stand you know who is i don't know but uh yeah he he doesn't wear it well <laughs> a bit like Gary Megson in that respect uh, but i think yeah. people do understand it and it, and i think a lot of the reaction was just that 15 minutes it's not necessarily a reflection of his system is it or his philosophy no uh, well i mean when i i was sat behind that goal uh, and watching and Baxter uh, the point where he did kick it up, Baxter did look over at Ever, and he kind of begrudgingly sort of waved it, you know, yeah. waved him on uh, to kick it up. But um, yeah, I mean, North Stand Lower, anyone who sits in the North Stand Lower will know that there's, there's pockets of people that will be like, oh, bloody hell, why aren't you kicking it up? Which, mm. you know, I, I, I can understand, but at the same time, I do think, well, you know, when you, when you look at the way that... Uh, it's, it's being played for me kicking the ball up to uh our strikers i don't think necessary but adabiejo's got better at holding up the ball charles is a is does what he does but he's not tall enough really to compete with a center half not if you're going to hit think... that not if you're going to hit it long and, and hit it for him to hit it on the air there's ways of going long into the into the channels where both of them have got the pace to get there that's that's how you do it you don't you don't want to put up a ball to Dion charles josh Earl had you know, he was like Franz Beckenbauer. It made him look like Franz Beckenbauer. It was just mm. being pinged up there. He was winning everything. Of course, he's going to. Dion's about five foot seven. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, sure, Dion, if he was listening to this, would be like, "Hang on a minute." I'm five foot um, eight. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it, that, that's the. So for me, I think I can I can understand why he does it because you know. Uh, to steal a buzzword, I'm sure that people use the percentages is that you keep the ball more if you pass it out. And these mm. managers aren't stupid; they, they would have done the research. So I'm sure that is the reason. But then, you know, when you are watching as a fan, we're not on the pitch. So when Baxter plays it out to Sheen, who plays it out to the fullback, who plays it up to us, it looks like it's it's dicing with death. It, to us, it looks like it's. You know the 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 defender, the strikers are almost getting the ball each time. When on reality, in reality, on the pitch, it might they might actually be a yard or two away, and there's no chance of them doing it. So mm. I, I I think when you look at this season, Bolton giving the ball away at the back, there's uh, there's not been many times. There's been a few actually in the last few weeks, but not many overall. Oh, we've not conceded many goals by doing it. So for me, I don't mind it, but. 
again, if if you're a, um, you, you know, you could be older than me and and been used to to seeing a certain type of football, uh, and yeah, the mentality is get the ball away from your goal, um, and I can understand it. So I can understand why people get frustrated. But I think in that actual instant, it was because the ball kept on coming back, and I think then everyone got frustrated and nervous because you're mm. like, well do something different because the ball just keeps on going out to midfield and coming back uh, and, and not in a pass back, you know, and they're attacking at us. So yeah, it's, it's just one of those things. We got the goal. Everyone was kind of happy with the draw at the end. So it, it's all, it'll all be forgotten about, especially if we win on Saturday. But yeah, I can understand. I can understand from both sides why they were frustrated. There's, there's definitely people though. And I think the majority of the reaction and the majority of the uh, the the argument, if you will, that, that Ian Everett had after that game was was based on the reaction to the fifteen minutes and and Baxter ushering people out and taking the kick long and getting that ironic cheer. I think that just peed him off, to be truthful. Um, yeah. But there are people who just don't like that type of football, and you know it may be a generational thing. I suggest it is a generational thing. But there's also people that tell me that somebody like Ian Greaves, for example, used to like playing out the back, uh, from the back, uh, you know, back in the, the late 70s at Bolton. Somebody like Paul Jones, you know, who was a, who was a very good technical footballer, used to enjoy playing uh, playing out from defence. So it's Alan strange. Stubbs, yeah. Alan Stubbs, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you've got, Bolton have got a good little history of, of ball-playing defenders. I know, you know, the, the, the Sam Allardyce years were were kind of stereotyped as being this kind of long ball football. But again, you know, anybody that actually watched a bloody game at the time could see, you know, Ivan Campo or, uh, you know, Fernando Hierro or whoever it might be, you know, that they're not pinging long balls for the sake of it. It was better created than that. I think people, I think people probably underestimate just how hard it is to coach a philosophy like this. And, and there's no switch you know, Bolton are not going to turn into a long ball team for five minutes just because it it kind of suits people. Um, they just need to find better better ways of doing their game. And uh, you know, I think Everett said we don't want a plan B or a plan C or a plan D. We need to get back better at plan A. That's that's a fair fair assumption to me. I have to say. And and and, and look at the table. It's it's actually working. <laughs> Look at the look at the fact the club has increased its league position for the last god knows how long. It is working. You can't, you can dislike it. I suppose you can have an opinion. Of course you can, but the results are there at the moment. That they are getting better every single season playing this way. I don't, you know, it's 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 difficult to to make a really really strong case against playing the way that they do at the minute. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, I, I, Bolton. Have recruited players that are good at what they do. They're yeah. good at this style of play. I was thinking the other day, and it was with the transfer deadline actually, is that you know last few years we've had players who you think, well, yeah, they're not really playing, or they need to go, or whatever. You know, there's arguments maybe over the likes of Jerome, but there's 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 not many Bolton players, if any, that people look at and go, yeah, they need to go. That. Mm. You know, Bolton, for once, we've got a squad where the vast majority of people look and go, well, yeah, if they play, it's fine. You know, like, if they play, it's fine. It's that, you know, people are wanting Collins in or whatever, and there's little changes and little, uh, you know, it's more, well, he should be playing. 
rather than he shouldn't be. Everyone mm. thinks we've got his... And that's because they've recruited to the style and they all play it very well. So, um, yeah, like I said, it, it Bolton win on Saturday and then suddenly go back into the top two. If Portsmouth drop points and we're looking and going, well, we've got three games in hand and we've only got two points behind or whatever, it'll all be forgotten about. So... Yeah, we uh, shall we move on to the next one? Let's right? let's move on. Let's we've done that to death now. Uh, well, Zach Ashworth got the goal. Uh, he's got two goals in his last two uh, two games actually, uh, and he he wasn't on the he wasn't on the pitch. He didn't get too wet mm. on Tuesday, so it's been a great <laughs> uh, great week for Zach Ashworth. Mm. Um, and he said he's going to prove the doubters wrong. He's he's this is the first time really in his Bolton career that he's had a run of games, and he's he's doing very well. So. Um, what do you think? Do you think there's been many doubters? Do you think he's right to want to prove them wrong? Or the way he's playing, should we just let him try and prove whoever wrong just because he's playing well? well if he's motivated, he's motivated. He's <laughs> motivated. I don't I don't really care if 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 you can't point to the people. I don't it's been difficult to gauge it. We've said it a few times today. It's been difficult to gauge where where he's at and you know how often he was going to play when he'd had you know, cup games, and it was just, there was a couple of minor injuries, successive kind of things. Didn't play really for six weeks, eight weeks um, towards the back end of the year. So it was just difficult really to say where he was. And then when they signed on better as well in the window, that all of a sudden was another left-sided wing back. Randall Williams is going to come back eventually. So there are going to be three of them. Um, so I think there were probably a few people that looked at Ashworth and thought, has has he got the full trust of the manager? But I think in the last couple of weeks, he's earned it. And, uh, you know, he's had a couple of really good games. He's got a bit of spike about him, which I like as well. Um, yeah, I, I think, if, you know, I don't think there is a, a big number of, of people who are doubting his claim to a place in the team or, or to a, to a move in the future even but I, I do think if that's his motivation then uh, more power to his elbow yeah if he continues the way he's playing uh, right now towards the end of the season he's definitely someone who you, you say yeah let's let's bring him for next year and let's let's keep him um you know before this you were you may be questioning what should he you know should we try and get someone else should he stick mm. around uh, and it wasn't even a based on his quality or he, it was just based because we hadn't seen him mm. so um, for him to have this run of games now, it's it's shown the, the potential and the player that we thought we were getting because he's a you know he's a Welsh under twenty one international. He's he's got some credibility. He's he's coming from West Brom, so a few people were excited to see how he does, and it just didn't quite happen. So now he's had this run of games. You can think right, that's what we saw in him. That's what he brings to the team. And if he can end the season without getting injured, then uh, yeah, he's someone who. I'm sure the fans will be clamouring to to stay on. Let's have another headline. So this one, uh, I think Sharon Britton mentioned this in the, mm. the program notes at the uh, at the weekend, and uh, they've rescinded the ban against the Sun newspaper, um, and it's all because Sharon has had a chat with their editor as she and ironed things out a little bit. Is that right? Yeah, the the editor in chief, Victoria Newton, has uh, been in contact with. With Sharon, um, and I must say, and you've got to underline this, the family, as in Ian Perslow's family, have been um, consulted every step of the way here. It's all been done in accordance with exactly what they wanted, which for all the emotions and for all the opinions um, that everybody does have on this subject, really that is the only one 
that matters. You know, everybody can be offended on their behalf, but ultimately, if the family are happy for things to continue, you've got to abide by those wishes, surely. Um, and and Sharon, by all accounts, has has been in contact with the family and uh, and and told them kind of what's happened there's been a, a donation made uh, to a charity the family's choice as well which is is a positive step there's been contrition shown privately as well as the the printed apologies um it, you know it's a difficult one we've said we've, it's, we've talked to talk to death about it really it, it it really it's an emotive subject obviously there is historical issues with that particular publication that people um will probably never get over and, and and probably shouldn't get over if that's my own personal opinion um there's a lot of people that refuse to buy it there's a lot of people that refuse refuse to acknowledge it and that is entirely their personal thing from my professional point of view um i know there's a lot of very very good journalists at that that newspaper they do cover lower league football um as well if not better than anybody around there they send and have representation at, at every single game which no other national newspaper guarantees um so in that sense you know that you you are kind of you you're depriving somebody a living and they're not necessarily sun journalists they're, they're people in agencies and, and freelance journalists who, who come in and just do um do games ad hoc so um, you know, people aren't going to change their minds about the, the publication, uh, but it's very much in character with with Sharon and the way that they've run the club to offer se second chances. And, and that's what they've done. Yeah, this is it, is that, you know, and I said previously on this podcast, I, I'm not the biggest fan of that newspaper, but you, you can't. Yeah, I mean, Bolton, I guess, will be within the rights to ban them or whatever, but you can't just... I guess we we live in a world of free speech and a country of free speech, and uh, you you know you can't just be banning people for the sake of it. But I think it is down to the the you know the man's family, and if they're okay with it, or if they've moved on, or if they want to move on, and they said you know it is what it is, then that's that's all that matters. Um, so uh, so yeah, so hopefully it's all you know it's all resolved it's to you know to be fair to sharon it's nice that she's she's gone out and spoken to them i think a lot of owners would probably have just corporate know, job just, yeah 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 you know but uh i guess that shows the type of person she is and um you know i think to be fair you know maybe i i know we we paint sharon in this spectacular light but maybe in in society as well maybe if people just talk to each other then uh, a lot of things could get ironed out in the mm. end rather than shouting on social media or just pulling up the drawbridge or just ignoring it if you just actually talk to so talk to each other explain your points and then we can move on a message from henry hewitt presidential yeah. candidate i'm gonna put some <laughs> inspiring background music behind that one i think <laughs> I like it. I like it. Right. Um, just go on. It's just a very quick one, actually, as we're recording. We're recording this at 10 o'clock, well, 20 past 10 now, 25 past 10 on Thursday. Uh, the Blackpool tickets seem to have sold out in three minutes. So that uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, will go down well with um, the, uh, well, if you got your ticket, well done. If you haven't, then that'll go down well with yes. the majority of people listening to this podcast. Um, I've, the Wigan tickets go out on sale next week, I think. So expect more of the same for that. Um, My word. But, 
Um, but a man who will be uh, joining us in Blackpool and hopefully Wigan is Victor Adibiejo because there were rumours, we talked about them recently, rumours that he might be off and Ian Everett has said no, he's not going to Turkey, he's staying here in Bolton. Well, I walked into that hotel on Saturday evening after the Barnsley game for uh, a pint. Jack did and uh, shouted a pint, which, you know, you, you've got to take advantage of when that happens. Oh, yeah. Um, so we uh, we walked in there and I got absolutely besieged by Bolton fans that, who were absolutely adamant that uh, Victor Adebayo was going to Turkey. Absolutely adamant. And I think there have been some discussions happening around with members of... Uh, Bolton Wanderers hierarchy or what have you. I don't know what what was what was happening, um, but somebody had certainly said something. And I, and from our information and from uh, talking to the managers, it's like there was it was just simply a no go. There'd there'd been some interest, and um, but the fact that the the Turkish transfer window is open until Friday, um, which is later than everybody else's. Uh, there's always that kind of little tiny aspect of hope i suppose that the you know hope that's probably the wrong word um there's a chance that they could have come forward with a um, splash the cash and and that the bolton would have something to think about but um we put that once again to ian ever and he said nope there was some interest and we that's the end of it we've nipped it in the bud we don't want don't want to hear from them again so you know famous last words but i think that's that i don't think there's anything more to say yeah i'd be surprised if anything came from from here unless they want to put in a, a massive offer for him um you know victor adibiejo is uh you know he, he he offers what he offers for bolton he's very in my opinion he's good at what he does he's mm. he's got so much better over the course of a season at holding the ball up he's an alternative to Dion charles it's the the you know he, he's he, he's more of a kevin davis type of player he's i don't think vic i, I mean he's well he he could do and he's well uh, I'm not, you know, demeaning his talents here, but I, I don't think we're ever going to get 30 goals from him in a season, whereas Charles, I think we would. I think he's more of a, we'll score you 10 or 15, but he will open up the play in a different way. He'll, he'll mm. drop back. He'll he'll go to either either side. He'll he'll keep the ball. He'll create stuff. So, uh, yeah, he adds a lot to, to our team. So I would like to see him stay and head us uh, to the championship. But, um I guess like any player, you get a, a good bid in and you, you're probably going to take it. But at this point, we'd say it's probably not going to happen. I'm, I'm saying it's 99.999%. Let's move on. Uh, well, Nathan Baxter, uh, there was a lot of rumours before the Cambridge game that he'd, uh, he'd he'd had an injury. and Because I know that the manager was quite coy about who was in. There was an injury, mm. but he didn't say who in his pre-match press conference. So a lot of rumours that it was Baxter. So then a lot of people were surprised to see him on the team sheet um you know when it got announced and then afterwards Ian Everett's been explaining what the situation is with him yeah very interesting I'd, uh, uh, me me and Jack traveled in on different trains down to uh, Cambridge and uh, Dearden was obviously being accosted by a load of Bolton fans whilst he was sat there because he must have sent me about five different texts asking about Baxter and have you heard anything about Baxter I've heard on the grapevine that Baxter's out this that and the other and like Jack I, I'm you know, I've got nothing to say, zero to say, no comment, because there's no way on earth, even if that were true, that you'd be sticking that out before a game. 
Yeah. <laughs> It'd be suicide. Suicide. By the way, Bolton haven't got a goal- goalkeeper. Just <laughs> put your big lads on, Neil. Don't worry, it's it's fine. Um, but yes, as as it turns out, yes, there was a there was an injury. Uh, Nathan Baxter has um, torn a ligament in his wrist, but he is happy to play on. He's happy to play on. It is sore. And you know that's not I. It's not ideal for a goalkeeper to have a wrist injury, but it's not unheard of. I'm sure back in the day, somebody you know, a Neville Southall or a Bruce Grobler or a Jim Leighton or something would have just basically rubbed it better. It would have been fine. Um, so yes, I'm I'm sure he'll be absolutely fine. I'm sure that Nathan Baxter will be. Um, covered on the bench as well I think a lot of people will be happy to see Joel Coleman he was there on Tuesday night sat on the bench I'm sure that will be the case again uh, on Saturday um, at Northampton because well why wouldn't you just in case you the last thing you'd want is for it to go really bad um, and and also I've got I've got a, a lot of confidence in Coleman really I, I, I think he's done nothing wrong at all in the games that I've seen him so I don't even if Baxter were to step out for a game, I wouldn't. It wouldn't be panic stations for me particularly. No, I thought he's he's done quite well in the games that he's he's played. And I think he's actually got better at uh, you know passing the ball out mm. and playing that Bolton way. So yeah, I, I won't. I, I wouldn't be. Uh, you know, I, I mean, in the recent past when Bolton have had injuries to goalkeepers or goalkeepers go down during the game, you, you panic. But less so now with Coleman. Um, it's, it's the frustrating thing about all of this is that it came at a, you know, the the Barnsley player was offside when he had the shot, and he yeah. gave off, you know, like it's is this silly rule where you've got to play on and and whatever, um, and that's got Nathan Baxter an injury, and and uh, you know, yeah, okay, the I trust what the physios are saying and stuff because they're far more qualified than me, but he just takes a, a shot on. Saturday that maybe hits his his wrist instead of his hand and he's he has to come off. Baxter could be out for most of a season, and that it's all stemmed from a, a shot that if it had gone in, it wouldn't have counted. So it was pointless. It was a pointless exercise. So yeah, that's disappointing. But I agree with you, Coleman. I I quite like Coleman as a as an understudy. Um, uh, and he yeah, I, if if he has to come in, I don't think it's going to change things too much. Yeah, it definitely gives him something to think about. Let's have another headline. Uh, yeah, so the final headline this week is a sad one, actually. This came out, um, I think it came out just after, uh, as we were playing against Barnsley. Mm. Uh, Connor Bradley, who's who's had a magnificent uh, rise in his career, um, especially this season with Liverpool. Um, Liverpool announced that his uh, dad has passed away. So uh, it's very sad. Obviously, Connor Bradley is a young man. Uh, no one should have to go through that, especially at his age. Uh, even though at some point we all do. So um, mm. yeah, I, it was. I, I think there was a, a unified um, sort of uh, you know show of sympathy, wish, so to speak. Show yeah. of sympathy, yeah, yeah from yeah. Bolton and uh, the Bolton fans. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it happened. But Liverpool put the announcement out actually as we were waiting for Ian Everett to uh, to come and do his post match press at. After the Barnsley game, and um, literally as he was walking in the room, had to kind of pull into one side to say that, that it had been confirmed. And his dad had been poorly for a, for a while, but he was he was a person that uh, the people around Bolton back room got to know, obviously because Connor um, Connor's family visited the ground and visited you know the son at Wembley and and all sorts of stuff. And there was a you know it, it, a real um, you know. 
show of sadness, so to speak, when when the news came out and everybody um, wished him well. And I'm sure that uh, they will uh, will offer any sort of support that would Colin would need for that. And uh, yeah, I mean, obviously we um, wish him uh, our sincere condolences as well. Um, very difficult for a, for a young man, but my word, I mean, his dad must have been extremely proud of, of how that young man has come on um, in the last couple of years in particular. He's had a, an incredible rise um, and for him to be playing and scoring and, and creating for Liverpool at Premier League level now is uh, is wonderful and, and I'm sure that he will be uh, will be extremely proud of what he's done. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I think... Uh, I'd, you know, somebody said that. I, uh, I think it might have been you, uh, amongst other people, uh, after the game. And uh, yeah, it makes you feel as you know me as a new dad and you're a dad. It's uh, you know you uh, for him to have seen that. Mm. It, you know, obviously Conor Bradley's going to have a magnificent career, but unfortunately he won't see. But for him to have seen that and also go to Wembley with Bolton and mm-hmm. and see him play there and lift a trophy there, it's uh, yeah, what a what a magnificent sort of moment that would have been and he'd been so proud of him so uh, yeah very sad indeed I remember Con uh, getting in touch with me I'm sure he won't mind me telling this story but he uh, as as I was travelling down to Wembley for the Papa John's trophy and uh, dropped me a a message just to ask whether I could bring some copies of the uh, the supplement um, that we'd done for the the final um, down to to Wembley because uh, his mum and dad would like to keep that sort of thing um and i had to get my, my hands unfortunately i was already in wigan uh trying to get the train um and uh, i had to go running around news agents in wigan trying to find copies of the bolton news which i got a few weird looks to be honest with you um yeah. but managed to get them down there too and uh yes he was uh, he was very appreciative but yeah a lovely day and uh, a lovely young man I, I, I do um i hope he gets the yeah the the, the support he needs um right let's Let's move on, and uh, we've got uh, an email. Let's let's bring a let's bring a bit of email in. Phil, take it away. Is that Philip Moresh? Emails actually. Right before we do read this email, I've got to give a big shout out to two of our young listeners, Dylan and Harry. Are you listening? Stop fidgeting about in the back of the car on your way over from Sheffield um, or wherever you are, in fact. But uh, yes, I met uh, met two young listeners after the game on Saturday um, in the hotel bar and uh, the mum and dad as well, um, who come over from Sheffield to watch Wanderers and the buff is perfectly timed, they say to be able to press play as they set off and it finish just as they turn up so uh, hopefully we we time this episode right as well safe journey um now let's have an email uh this one is from roger in preston it says mark and henry firstly thanks for a great pod as always so good that you've shrugged off your competition and standing proud at the top of the bwfc podcast table we didn't shrug them off honestly um it's a real sad loss to be completely honest here um but uh yes i want to speak about the comments from me and ever after the barnsley game i full-on support him and how he rightly spoke out against the negative bolton fans we've had a brilliant few weeks and played some superb football with carlisle being the highlight good things never last and we should all know that as soon as we go one down the uh to barnsley the fans turned and became infuriating he says in the north stand up uh, there were endless shouts for hoof it up and get it in the box and negative 
uh, negativity aimed at Baxter every time he played a pass instead of kicking it long. Baxter being the man who kept us in the game in the end. Um, Everett Ball, as got us to where we currently are, it's been a joy to watch it develop and revolutionise the club. We now have new hope and excitement back here, uh, yet the fans are quick to turn when we concede a solitary goal. It's ridiculous. Uh, we all need to be patient and stop the endless shouts for us to revert to old-fashioned, outdated 90s football. Sorry about the rant, but I feel with more backing and less negativity from the fans, it might just bring us a few extra points needed for promotion, which we all want. P.S. Thanks for taking a photo of me and the lad outside Kenilworth Road. If you ever need backup career as a photographer, I'd back you. Yes, yes, it was a particularly good <laughs> bit of photography, I think, probably. Cheers, Roger. Thank you very much. Um, we're harking back to one of the headlines there, I suppose, and Everett's uh, been a little bit peeved at, at some of the reactions. I think probably that early goal just set everybody off on the wrong wrong foot, really. But um, it's... Do you think it is a generational thing? Do you think it is people harking back to the kind of four four two, like bluster of the the kind of nineties, the high the high octane stuff, rather than it being the more uh, technical, patient build up? Um, well, I'd, I'd tell you what. One thing I will say, and he pointed it there, and we haven't mentioned it, is that Baxter did keep us in the game. Actually, it was uh, even after his Made injury, a couple of great saves, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, he, I think yes, really. I think. Um, you know, the the Bolton fans that are more, say, my age, and I'm in my early 30s and, and in the 20s, I, I think there's more who I speak to who, who are happy with the way we play. And that's probably because of, you know, we we watch it, say, Man City do it, or most teams do it. And Bolton, actually, at this level, pretty much all teams try and do it, and Bolton do it far better than most. So you kind of look at it in that way and go, well, yeah, I'm happy with it. It could be a generational thing, but then again, I you know I watch with my dad who's in his early sixties, and he's he's not exactly saying who fit up. He's he likes the way Bolton play, and it's it's far better than in his many years of watching Bolton. It's far better than what he's seen, and the vast majority of them. So, mm. um, you know, I, I think it could be a generational thing. But it, it, yeah, I I don't know if the answer to that one. I think. Um, I'm sure there's younger people listening who will be like, well, I don't like it. And older people listening who go, well, I actually like it. And you don't paint me with that brush. Um, but <laughs> has I, I think has Henry painted you with a brush? Email in at <laughs> <laughs> the at <gmail> <laughs> Uh, but I, I do. I, I think on the whole, it tends to be that generational thing. But I'm sure when I get to from my 50s or 60s, I'm sure there'll be a totally new way of playing football. It might go actually go all full circle and back to long ball and i'm yeah. sat there in the north lower or wherever going pass it out from the back come on what's all this position of maximum opportunity nonsense i remember i remember ticker tacker bring back ticker tacker <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i mean football works in uh, works in circles i'm i'm very very sure it'll come back at some stage of the game somebody will invent a, a better way of doing long ball and, and then everybody doing that but right at this minute in time it has taken ian ever I mean, what, three and a half years just over now? Uh, a long time, a lot of ups and downs to kind of build to this point. It would be ridiculous to rip that up uh, now. And it, there is no switch. You can't just say, right, now we're playing long ball today because there may be a different pitch. You've, you've kind of just got to tailor what you're doing. Um, just in the same way as, as somebody like, I don't know, Stevenage or... Uh, you know, Fleetwood play that kind of 
harem scarum kind of direct kind of game they're not going to one week say oh actually it's this lovely sunny day there's a massive pitch here let's let's go playing it from the back today unfortunately it's too difficult to turn around in that space of time that's why managers do need time to to create squads and be successful and fingers crossed you never has been given the time to uh, to make this squad successful um right let's move on it's time for who are you blink and you missed him who are you here today gone tomorrow who are you blink and you missed him who are you here today gone tomorrow who are you this week we have the letter n and uh we have well, we've got two. Stuart sent in a, a big, long list, actually. So I'll start with just a couple of the little fragmented ones that I've not kind of padded out. So David Norris. Uh, remember David Norris? Uh, uh, yes. Uh, it's early noughties, kind of. Didn't really break into the team, did he? Yeah, yeah, exactly. He was, he was one, of, uh, one of Big Sam's early ones. Um, so David Norris has had some financial struggles, um, and uh, Plymouth fans have set up a just giving page so that he doesn't have to sell his uh, league title winning medal. Um, so that's nice. That's nice. I like that. Um, John Newsom. Do you remember John Newsom? Um, he was mainly Sheffield Wednesday, wasn't he? Mainly Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, he lived in Sheffield. Um, he went to my university as well. Um, oh. He used to run a high end car company in Sheffield, but now he's an agent, says Stuart. So that's, right. that's nice to know what John Newsom's up to. Um, Hideyoshi Nakata? Oh, yeah, we know Nakata. Of he he uh, brought a lot of Japanese journalists to the Reebok, didn't he? Back he in certainly did. They were mad for him. He was the Asian David Beckham uh, style guru. Still is, by the way. He still goes to all the, the Louis Vuitton shows and all that kind of stuff. He's a massive thing. Um, but weirdly enough, since he finished playing football, and he retired at something like 28, 29, really early. Um, just stopped playing after he, he finished at Bolton. Um, and I think we've mentioned this on the podcast before, which is why I didn't make it one of the bigger ones. But he makes rice wine as in sake, like the highest possible end sake. His company now makes more than £20 million a year in this wow. high-end uh, rice wine market. Um, and most of it apparently is is bought and, and exported to the Middle Eastern Europe. So it's not really a Japanese thing. It's a Japanese thing being sold elsewhere. So he's basically taken over the world again. It's incredible. Good on, yeah, good on him. Maybe we could see some at the... Because uh, um, I noticed in FanZone, they're selling Verve Clique at the moment. So maybe <laughs> some uh, Nakata rice wine to go with it as well. Get it on tap. <laughs> get, yeah, it on this, yeah. get it on tap in concourse. Oh, the guards passed the and some rice wine. <laughs> right, okay, we have got two uh, normal who are you. So, are you ready? Have you got the Josh Dakers cogliometer? I have, yeah. Already in charge. Oh, number one, David Ngog. Oh, David Ngog. <laughs> what a what a player, David Ngog. I'm sure um the, the I'm sure Bolton ran out of apostrophes when people wanted name his name on the back of his shirts. Mm, yes, well, uh, no comment. French striker, uh, he scored. I mean, he basically built his entire Liverpool career around scoring against United at Old Trafford. He was supposed to be like the next Nicholas Nelka. Never yeah. quite worked for him. Bolton wanted to sign him uh, in 2010 
Um, and Owen Coyle was quoted £7 million. Now, they very nearly greenlit that one, um, but then decided against it. 12 months later, he did go to Bolton for £4 million. Um, Owen Coyle, quite pleased with the business that he'd done at that point in time. He saved £3 million. Quid. Um, I mean, I'll leave it to you to decide whether that ended up being a good buy or not. But uh, 91 games, 16 goals. Um, Bolton also turned down three million quid from Fulham when they got relegated from the Premier League for Ngog, which again, you know, looking at the looking at the, the, the ins and outs from that time, my word, three million quid would have made a difference. Um, and then they eventually sold him for 500 grand, Dougie Freeman. And I remember the dance that <laughs> Dougie Freeman basically did coming into the press conference to tell us that one um, in January 2014. Uh, so Ngog... He turned into a bit of a journeyman after that, really. Um, he he went to French football from Bolton. Um, and this is where things start to get a little bit weird because he ended up being a front-page story in uh, L'Equipe um, because he'd been struggling with a stomach bug. And then he went missing. Right. Completely missing. Nobody knew where he was for a week. And it, a week later, he turned up, he was totally fine. He just went completely off the grid. Um, uh, played for a couple of seasons, went to Greece, then Scotland, where he teamed up with Owen Coyle again, then to Hungary, then to Lithuania, where he played when it was uh, COVID. And then he came out of retirement a couple of years ago, and he's playing in the Greek third division now. Um David and Gog, ladies and gentlemen. I'm, I'm not sure what the, the, the front line uh, fact there. I think probably the, the AWOL bit is what I'd ask you to rate that on, but it's it's basically the story of David and Gog. It is, yeah. Uh, David and Gog, um, yeah, I don't know why they didn't take that three million from Fulham. The fact <laughs> that he called, called his seven million was amazing. Um, I, yeah, such a bizarre... I mean, hindsight's great, but they could have reinvested that three million, no doubt. Uh, in like a, I mean, we could have finally seen Jordan Rhodes at Bolton. Who knows? You're gonna give um, it a mark. Yeah, uh, well, being on the front page of a L'Equipe or whatever it's called is a a reputable paper in France. So I'm gonna that's a seven point five. Not bad. My word, that's a high high mark. Right, this this I mean this one's definitely gonna beat that one. Uh, Tad Novak. Are you aware of Tadius Novak? Was he the first ever foreign player to play for Bolton? Am I right with that? Well, there is there is some debate because there was actually a South African player in the 60s that never quite made it, but he was a South African player. Um, but yes, probably the first player who actually did play, uh, foreign player who did actually play out there, um, Tadeusz Novak. Um, also followed by another one called Dusan Niklic as well, by the way. But anyway, Tadeusz Novak, Polish winger, uh, nicknamed Ferrari, he was signed from uh, the Polish military club Legia Warsaw in March 1979. He was 30 at the time. But if you look at pictures of him, I reckon he looks about 50. He has had a tough paper round. Tough, tough paper <laughs> yeah. round. He had um, a Mr. Burns haircut, didn't he? He did have a Mr. Burns haircut, he did. Um, Legia Warsaw wanted £50,000 for him, which was quite a lot of money in those days. Uh, but Jim Conway was Bolton's chief scout and an extremely nice man. Um, he was absolutely convinced that he was very, very quick. His technical ability would, would suit Ian Greaves' team. So they went backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards to Poland. At that time, we were like behind the Iron Curtain as such. So, um, But they were just allowing their players to, to leave. Um, the Polish club basically got Bolton into a room and said, 
we need a sweetener for this deal. Um, it's typical kind of like a <laughs> dodgy dealings, but we need yeah. a sweetener, right? Specifically, they wanted three UK-made tractors. Right. So luckily, Ian Greaves, who's the manager, um, he knew somebody. He used to work in Huddersfield. Uh, there was a company called David Brown Agricultural Machinery. Um, he knew somebody high up in there, managed to get a decent deal on three tractors and had them shipped over. That got the deal done. And Tadius Novak played for Bolton for, well, just over a season, I think it was, in the end. Um, and got really heavily into Pink Floyd as well whilst he was over here. That is... Uh, and Pink Floyd now linked to Bolton again. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, Brilliant. That, uh, you know what? The fact that we've... We, the fact that it's Tad Novak, it involves three tractors and then ends on Pink Floyd. I'm sticking at a, an 8.5. Uh, no, 8.75. That's a good one. I like that one. <laughs> that's an all-time high on the Josh Dakers cogliometer. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's wind this podcast up by predicting what's going to happen next. It's prediction time. Pass us me crystal ball. What's happening next week? Prediction time. Two more games to add to the collection. And, I mean, it's very difficult to say what's going to happen because Northampton on Saturday, they've got Wickham at home on Tuesday. But what sort of effect will Cambridge have? Because, obviously, the players only did 10 minutes. They did all the warm-ups and things. Does Ian ever treat it as a completely separate entity? Does he go with the same team again? How does he change things around and, and what will happen? I, I think he will go for a, a different... Well, he'll, he, he won't... Uh, well, I, I think he said before that they kind of... They plan games in advance. So I don't I think, think so. anything will change um, to what they were expected to do anyway, even if we'd have played on Tuesday. I don't think it's as simple as going, well, you, you lot warmed up and you didn't do anything wrong on the night, so you play again. I think uh, he would have, um, yeah, he, he would have had that plan. He would have had that idea anyway. And, and I'm sure a cup, maybe a couple of the midfielders, even though you look at Cambridge and Northampton's ground and pitches, they're very similar. So maybe he's the team he played against Cambridge was kind of a the team that plays on those sort of pitches. So it could be a very similar one, but I'm sure he would he would have gone right. Uh, I can't even remember. I, I know Thomason was in the team. I can't even Thomason <laughs> Sheehan. Was it? Uh, there was, was no Magoma. No Dempsey got oh. dropped as well. So it was a, Aaron oh. Morley started as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you could have them free. Maybe, he'll, he, you know, I, I don't quite think the smaller pitches tend to suit Magoma. So maybe Magoma mm. would be still on beyond the bench and try and unlock something um, later in the game. Would Dempsey then come in for Morley? I'm not quite sure. So uh, I'd be surprised if too much changes, to be honest, even with the, the defence. Um, I, I don't think Collins will start. I think it'd be Charles and Adebiejo again. Uh, and he'll sort of ease Collins in. Because, you know, as much as people will moan on Saturday if he doesn't start Collins, Bolton's fixture list in February and March, there's not going to be any rest at all. So Collins will have started about at least five or six games by the end of March. Um, and and I think we've got to remember as well that we say there about the table, Bolton are, are, are third with three games in hand. You know, if you went off points per game, we, we're comfortably top. So the the team hasn't done much wrong. No. So for all those people going, well, take, yeah, Charles is, is hasn't scored yet this year. And, um, 
yeah, I, I, can, I do agree that he does need time maybe out of the team just to re-energise. None of the team have done anything wrong. So to bring players in, it would be very harsh. So I think Collins will be eased in, but I, I don't think it will happen anytime soon. It might be the next home game. He might wait until Wickham on Tuesday. We're at a bigger pitch. Obviously, we're more on the front foot. Maybe he'll do that. But I, I, I don't actually see it being much different to the Cambridge team, to be honest. Give us a prediction for both games. Uh, Northampton, I think we'll win 1-0. Came, uh, sorry, Wickham, I think we'll win 3-0. 3-0 against Wickham, wow. That's, uh, mm. I, I, yeah, I'm interested about the, the kind of the psychology behind somebody who may get dropped who played at Cambridge, who got 10 minutes and just their feet wet, who may not <laughs> start against Northampton Town away. I'm looking at Aaron Morley, I've got to be honest, as, as the one that he's been waiting for that chance and that would have been his big shot. And then, you know, if, if they were to change things around and, and, and move things around, where's your head out there? It's, it's a difficult one. But look, he's got a squad, as you say, as you rightly say, there's gonna, everybody's going to get chances now because there are, there are far too many games to fit in uh, to be going with the same 11 every week. It's just not going to happen. But uh, for my two Pennethworth, do you know, I, I've, um, I've done a few games at Northampton. Um, there's a big hill behind the ground that you could probably watch the game from uh, and there's a Frankie and Benny's, that's all I remember about it, but it's uh, I think that, that Bolton are probably going to be fresher and happier for what happened on Tuesday night I'm, I'm, I think it's going to be a good win, I think they're going to the score, score a couple, I'm going to go for 3-1 away from home um, and then that will then feed in and I think there'll be a a narrow win against Wickham. I'm going to go two-one against Wickham, um, but I think I think it's starting to feel better. I think there's there's a there's a positive frame of mind. I mean, we're speaking to Caleb Taylor this afternoon. I'm interested to see what he picks up on um, and the difference between the kind of the West Brom camp. There's there's been issues in the West Brom camp that he's been playing in uh, for a lot of the season, but whether or not he, he feels like the kind of a, a positive vibe in this place, and I dare say he will. Uh, Caleb Taylor, who by the way, uh, son of Martin Taylor. Um, Blackburn, who, was he? used to play at Blackburn, yeah. And he looks very, very similar in body type. Really, really big, big fella. Um, there was a well-known radio journalist um, whose uh, whose nickname rhymes with loose, um, who was uh, was trying to get pictures with the Bolton players um, on. I saw. On, he's, he's good night, friends. Yeah. Good friends. Massive, Let's massive be. friends. He was so good friends with Gethin Jones that he asked Jack whether or not he was uh, Zach Ashworth or Victor Adebayo. That's how that's how good a friend he really is. Goes way back, apparently. Um, uh, he also I, then I, asked, I, he also then asked of Caleb Taylor, "Is he Bob Taylor's son?" Right, okay, there you go, good friends. But he, he got a photo with Jacko, I saw. Oh well, well look, you know, I'm, I'm saying I'm saying absolutely nothing. Enough of all that. Uh, let's uh, let's wind this one up. It has been a pleasure. Uh, bringing you yet another buff. I think this is number 211, in fact. Um, and thank you very, very much again uh, for listening in last week. Loads and loads of you did. And um, we've got some fantastic numbers going from strength to strength. Do they want me to bring two episodes a week? Yes, they do. Am I going to be able to do it? I'm still trying to think how it's possible, especially when you're traveling up and down the country on a Tuesday night. Not easy, but we shall, we shall put our thinking caps on. Um, the, the big holdup, of course, is Henry's wages. Um, if we can, if we can barter him down just a little bit, it might be possible. What do you reckon? Well, 
you know, I, you know, you've just spent seven hundred and fifty grand on uh, another podcast host. Uh, yeah. So uh, you it know, was a risk I, I worth might, taking. <laughs> yeah, I might have to move on to a championship teams podcast at some point, but. Um, <laughs> You know, we'll see. We'll, we'll, you know, my agent speaking to the Bolton News now, and yeah, you know, I, 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 I don't, I, I think asking for a car's pasty every time I record or any other pie is not too much to ask. But you're not budging. <laughs> not budging at all. Not. Uh, I wish. Could you imagine if that actually happened? If they just knocked on the door as soon as we started recording, and uh, your your delivery, sir. <laughs> I didn't nice. want cheese and jalapeno. I am not <laughs> recording until I get. My meat and potato. Oh, God, you've not brought him cheese and jalapeno. You know what he gets like. <laughs> <laughs> the work experience boy has been sacked. Oh, no. Right. Okay. Thanks very much for tuning in, folks. I have been Mark Hiles. And I've been Henry Hewitt. And this has been The Buff. <laughs> <laughs>